I want to speak this morning on a new day, one that we've never had before, one that we're never going to have again, is happening right now. As the seconds tick by on the clock, every one of those seconds will never be recounted. It's a new day. It's a new thing. So I'm talking this morning about beginning and continuing. And I hope that this message will be an encouragement to us this morning because I know that we all are going through a number of different situations in our lives. Our circumstances are all different. Some of us are in pretty good position. Some of us are, are healthy and strong, and we have furnaces that are working in our homes, and we've got money to pay our electric bills, and things are going pretty good. And, and others this morning are really, really struggling for whatever reason, that they are going through some serious testing and ser- serious trials and tribulations. And so with those tests and with those tribulations come a new day that God knows your situation and he knows where you're at. And so this morning I want to encourage us with our text verse this morning that is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. And it says, therefore, I love the word therefore because it's so definite. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, man, they don't seem light and momentary, do they, when you're going through them? I'm sorry, I don't get, Paul, you don't get it here. My problems don't seem light and momentary. They seem heavy and forever. They just don't seem like there's an end to them and they're certainly not light. But I think we've got to read the rest of the scripture to really get what he's trying to get to us. He says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So if my problems are so heavy and so long-lasting right now that I will have eternal glories that will far outweigh them, imagine how great the glories are going to be. Imagine how awesome they're going to be in light of my heavy forever problems right now. If they're going to make those problems seem light and momentary, then God must have a pretty good future in store for me and for you. So if you're going through the trial right now, understand how much better the glory is going to be when you get through it. Because you are going to get through it. Beginning and continuing, you are going to get through it. Verse 18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. When we look at Scripture, we see that, that, that theme of unseen faith as the absolute core of our structure. If I see it, it's not faith. If I see it, it's not no big deal that I can grasp it. It's the things that I can't see. It's like Jesus when he said to, to Doubting Thomas, Blessed are you, Thomas, that you believe, but you've seen me. Blessed are those that haven't seen me and they still believe. That's, where, that's who we are today. So my purpose for this message today is to apply God's word in our life into the context that God sees things that God sees things from a different angle than what we see them. We see them for what we see. He sees them for what we don't see. Because he sees the unseen. He creates the unseen. He's the creator of it all. So how do we get there? I guess, see, there's 
It's one thing to say something like this, but it's the next thing is to walk it out on Monday through Friday. And when you are having the hard times of life, how do you come back to some of these things? Well, I want to talk about some of the fundamental elements of obedience and trust and faith that will allow us to see these things come to pass. Now, everyone has a starting point. And I'm sure that there are some here this morning that are further along the path than others. Some are still considering their Christianity as, is it worth it? Is it something that I want? Is it something that I can achieve? Others are well down the path of continuing to mature in their function as a Christian. So I think this message, I hope, will be helpful to all of us in how we take wherever we're at, whether we're at the beginning or we're toward the middle or toward the end, that we all have a new day. We all can then re, either re-begin, or I guess that would be continuing, either we begin or we continue continuing in our, in our walk with the Lord. And I want to speak specifically on a topic that we've been talking about for the past few weeks. Now, we've been speaking for the past three weeks on giving and tithing. And we went through a pretty good, I believe, explanation last week. If you weren't here last week and you want to, really want to understand more about tithing, I would encourage you to go on the website and listen to last week's sermon. And two things you're going to hear. Number one, you're going to hear a great testimony from Zach because that Zach is online. Uh, that Zach. That testimony from Zach is online. And it's an awesome testimony. And, and by the way, we saw Zach play on that foot two games this, this week. Unfortunately, not more. He wanted to go more, but East Jordan just was a little bit too aggressive. You know what, Zach? If you would have played with that team all year long, that team would have been a whole different team. I'll tell you right now. Because they didn't know how to play you. They didn't know how to pass to you. Why do you pass to a guy that's six foot ten at his knees? Where everybody's at. Why aren't you passing above his head where nobody can reach? I didn't get it. So I was frustrated for you. Because I saw you getting beat up in there with all the little guys, my size and smaller, and you should have been dominating these guys, but it was only because they didn't know how to play with you. Boy, there's a message in there right there. We could preach on that one probably, but we don't go down that rabbit trail any further than we already have. But amen. We're so proud of you. We're so proud of what you've done, and thank you for being bold and giving your testimony before the Lord so the world can hear it now. I hope you're okay with it that it's online. Okay, good. I got permission now, so I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> but anyway, so if you want to know more about tithing, go listen. But today I want to talk about the beginning and the continuing aspect. And I tie that into trouble because sometimes our troubles are the things that motivate us to do something new. Sometimes when things are really good, we think, wow, if it's not broke, don't fix it. So therefore, sometimes God breaks it. Can I say that? I mean, can I really say that God would do something like that if it's going to motivate me to do something good? I know some people would have, are writing me off right now as a heretic to think that I would ever say that God would break something in my life. But, you know, that's called discipline. And as a parent, you discipline your children. I hope you don't break them, but you discipline them. God disciplines us. Sometimes something's got to get broken in our life so that he gets our attention, so that he can say, okay, come on, I want to teach you something new. 
So giving and tithing, the, re- the reason why I tie this into this is because that's one of the most basic elements of Christian life is giving. Why I say that? Because Jesus was the perfect giver. God is the giver of all things, and when God became flesh in the form of Jesus Christ, he showed us how to give. He was the proof of how a giving life is a victorious life. And so if we want to be victorious in our life, we need to go back to the basics. Maybe you're not a giver. Maybe you haven't been giving and tithing. Maybe you have. Maybe your challenge is to increase beyond the tithe. We're going to talk about that today. That's the whole point. Now, let me just tell you right now, the caveat of all this is that we are not looking, I am not looking to manipulate you or trick you into any giving. That's not the point. We are not trying to say anything here about the church wanting your money. I know that's a lie of the enemy, and that comes to people immediately we start talking about money and things of this nature. People check out, and they tune out because they think, there he goes again, talking about money. Well, can I say that what we're talking about is your blessing? Can we say that what we're talking about is for your benefit and for your good? And it really is. There's two major groups that don't like this kind of teaching. And this kind of teaching is, is needs, it's a little bit tricky because we're treading in personal space, your personal space and my personal space, and we're also dealing with a very powerful godly principle called obedience and there's two groups that don't like this kind of teaching they are people and the devil people don't like this kind of teaching and nor does satan and i'll tell you why people can be very easily offended when given instruction that doesn't line up with their perspective with their opinions with their worldly viewpoints or their viewpoints. And the world certainly has its own viewpoints when it comes to giving, and it's not godly when it comes to worldly viewpoints. So people can be a real force against this kind of teaching. And certainly the devil hates it when we speak of principles because these principles set people free. If you really grasped the concept of giving the way the Bible talks about it, the way Jesus lived it out, I will promise you, you will be freer than you are today. Are you going to avoid all your problems? No, I'm not going to say, say that. But I will guarantee you freedom. I will guarantee you that the Lord will bring a sense of peace, a sense of freedom in your heart, and he will bring a sense of, uh, not a sense, but he will bring a return to you because he says, test me in this. This is the one spot where he says it when it comes to our giving. So God's perspective on giving is beginning with the initial 10% called a tithe, and that is a deal-breaker for Satan. When you tithe, when you begin tithing and you become obedient in that area, know that you're breaking Satan's back because that is one of the areas where he keeps you in bondage. When we look at greed and ourselves and uh, the way that we think it's all about me, that is bondage, and that's exactly where the enemy wants to keep you because he will keep you from the better things that God has for you. It will keep you from the freedom of really operating in the power of the Holy Spirit because the devil binds you up in that. Because just like Vicki did today, it was a great example. When you come before the Lord and come before people in truth and honesty and say, I'm struggling in some areas, that doesn't mean Vicki's a bad person at all. It means she's an honest person. 
if you're not honest about it, then that's the bad person. <laughs> you're not, if you're not honest, if you're hiding it in, in, because you have a, a, a facade of pride and, and, and arrogance, we're going to read about that a little bit later, that's not the person that God blesses. He blesses the person that comes and says, oh man, God, I'm, I'm broken. I, I'm broken. I, I need help. And that's exactly, exactly what Satan wants you to keep, keep you from doing. Because when you break yourself, when you allow yourself to be broken down like that, you've just taken the teeth out of Satan. He can bark, and he can holler, and he can scream, but he cannot bite you anymore when you become open and honest before the Lord like that. As long as Satan has a person bound up and unwilling to obey, even the most basic truth of God's word, and I'm going to call the most basic one beginning with giving and tithing because that's the foundational element. Beyond salvation, that's the most basic element. And once we can learn that truth and accept it and begin it, begin to walk in it, you will see life things changing it for you. You will see your life beginning to take on a different perspective. So this morning, I want to encourage us with that, that God is with us all the time, and he's always for us. God never asks you to do anything, no matter how much it might stretch you. He will never ask you to do anything that would hurt you. It's always, always, always for your benefit. Always, always, always is he there to help you become stronger and better. Never is he going to take anything away from you without replacing it with something better if you're obedient in the giving of it. I, I read in Second First Timothy how Paul address some difficult subjects of his day. And you know, the thing that I really appreciate about, about Paul and these New Testament writers, in fact, all the writers in God's Word, is that they were head-on and very direct. They didn't beat around the bush. Paul just came on some of these tough issues right to the point. Now, I think we always have to remember that he, he had love as his motivation. And that's our motivation as well. We must have love as our motivation force, but there's nothing wrong with coming head-on a subject as long as you love people. As long as you love the people you're talking to. If it's, done in a, if it's done in anger, it's wrong. It's like disciplining your child. If you come after your child with a belt because you're angry and you're mad at them and you can't wait to beat them, that's not discipline. That's child abuse. But when you go to your child and you love them and you're going to discipline them out of love, that's love. And then that is acceptable, and it works, and it's appropriate. And this is the way Paul addressed these, some of these issues. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3, he says this, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ in the godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. So when Paul had an issue to deal with, he came right at it, came right to the heart of the issue. He didn't dance around it. And I tell you, the world doesn't like this approach today. The world doesn't like it when pastors or leaders talk this way. They would rather have them come at them with a real, how about if we, a suggestive approach. How about if I just suggest to you today that the Lord would have you do something different? You know, and he doesn't, the, the world doesn't want confrontation. The world doesn't want us to really read God's word for what it says. 
they want it to be soft and easy to chew and that feels good and that when they walk out of the door of the church they feel better about themselves and, and they really don't want to be challenged. But that's not the way Paul and the other writers of the New Testament really approach these. They, come out, they, they came with a direct challenge. Not a condemnation, but a challenge. And that's exactly what we should be doing today. And I pray that we're doing that. Reading a little bit further in that same chapter of Timothy, go to verses 17 and 19, just to, to show Paul's level of teaching. He says, command those who are rich. He doesn't say suggest to these that are rich. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Command them, Timothy. Just don't suggest that they might want to drop in a couple cents in the offering. No, command them that they obey God. Command it. What's wrong with the direct command like that when it's for your benefit, when it's for our benefit? See, my job, as every pastor's job, is really that of a coach. I, I come to you as a basketball team today. And if I didn't constantly urge the basketball team to work really hard, to practice as hard as you can practice, to run the extra laps if you have to, to learn the plays, to follow the plays, to listen to the coach in the game, to, to be obedient to the coach, and to work really hard, then I wouldn't be a very good coach, would I? We wouldn't win many games. And see, we don't have any problem when we sit and hear a, a coach strongly encourage <laughs> or command his players to work hard. Leave it all on the floor. We think it's awesome. We think that's a good coach. But we get a pastor doing it and we say, hey, back off, man. <laughs> it's my life you're talking about now. And so I wouldn't be much of a pastor and I wouldn't be much of a coach if I just said, well, guys, this is what the Bible says, but, you know, I'm not really going to make you do it. Ah. I'm, I'm not going to suggest. I'm not going to command. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the words from command to, I suggest. You know what that is? Itchy ears. You know what that is? End times. So the Bible says at the end times, people are going to want messages that are itching their ears, that, that they don't want to really be challenged. They just want to be, they just want to be feeling good about themselves and go out and then live in a world and get beat up by Satan because they didn't take the proper challenge in God's word. Notice here in Paul's message that he's not saying that the rich have to give up everything in order to be obedient. There's not one word in here that he said you have to become poor. All he said was do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. The devil will take the truth of God's word and twist it, so all of a sudden my mind is saying, oh, God wants to take everything away from me. Satan is saying, you know what, if you're going to be a Christian, you can't have a new car. You can't have a new house. You can't have all that. Oh, no, you're not. You know, you can't. He will twist all of that around to make you feel guilty and condemned and will totally make you ineffective because he takes the truth of God's word and twists it all around and then you, it, it becomes not at all what God's word said. 
There's nothing in here that says anything about you giving it all away. It just says do good. Be generous with what you have. Be obedient in it. So what I'm doing is I'm setting the stage here for beginning and continuing of our tithing and our giving practice. Now, I know when we start talking about this, it it can create some anxiety because if you haven't been a tither, I don't know what your situation is, but I, and I, I, I don't really have any business knowing it. But it probably, you're not tithing for some reasons. Maybe some of those reasons where I just can't afford to tithe. Maybe you're in such a financial situation that you find it very difficult to even consider tithing because you can barely pay your bills as it is. And so you struggle with the question, can I really trust God? Can I really trust him to meet my needs if I begin to tithe? Or, or maybe, maybe you can afford, maybe you are a tither and maybe you can afford to give more, but you refuse to. Maybe God brings opportunities for you to go up over and above the tithe called offerings and helping the poor and, and going above and beyond and you could afford to do it and you don't. Well, let me give you some suggestions. Let me jump in here and give some information that, that might make it easier, may, might make it more comfortable for you in this decision to test God or maybe make you want to run back and say, I don't want to know anything about, more about that. But Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 tells us, this was our memory verse for the week. This is what our text was last week and our memory verse for this week. I hope you had time to look at it. It says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Enough, not room enough for it. Well, the, like I said earlier, this is the only time in Scripture where the Lord's ever said, test me. Everything else is like Jesus, when he was tempted by the devil, the devil was to say, hey, jump off the, 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 the temple mount and let the angels protect you. And, and Jesus said, uh, I will not test my Lord, my God. I'm not to test my God. And other things in life, you're right. You're not to test God. But when it comes to this basic principle, and this is why I think it's the most basic principle. That's why I think it's the first principle that we really need to work in because God says, test me in this. If I can test God in this and see God coming through for me in this, then I think I can trust him in everything else of my life. Then I don't think I have to test him anymore because he was faithful in this test. There's a couple things that come against us right away, I believe, when we start going down this path. Number one, that there are two forces that, are, that always appear in this mix. And number one is Satan. He always appears his ugly head. Somewhere he comes in. And the second thing is fear. Satan and fear always kind of work together here. See, Satan is always going to be in the mix when it comes to new beginnings. He's always going to be there when, when you are just getting ready to, to branch off into something new because he's gonna, he, that's when he hits the hardest. That's when he comes and he says, that's when he brings all the doubts. And says, you really can't trust God. No, that, that's for somebody else. You, you really can't. You don't have enough in it to trust God. So he, he keeps you from taking that first step. And then fear has a way to keep us from venturing out and, and making that first step in faith as well because we have that own fear that comes within ourselves. Fear of failure. What did I just do? How can I afford to do now what I just, I just gave? Now, what am I going to do? And I, I'm, I'm fearful. I have a great example of, of that in, 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 in the scripture. It talks about Peter and, 
And when you start talking about walking in faith, I know in my mind, run to this example right away, maybe yours did or didn't, but when Peter walked on the water, that, was a, that is a great element to me of walking in faith. Matthew chapter 14, 28 to 30, it says this, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, they're in a boat, it's very stormy, very windy, the disciples were going across, Jesus said, meet me on the other side, I'll meet you when you get there, and in the middle of the night, Jesus comes walking across the, the lake. Okay, and they thought he was a ghost. But then they recognized him as Jesus. So then Peter cries out, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Now, let's go back and look at this for a minute. Peter did everything right here. He, first of all, he asked permission of the Lord before he jumped out of the boat. He just didn't jump out on his own. He asked permission. And then he listened to Jesus. He listened to him said. He listened to the reply back. And then when Jesus said, come, then he obeyed. And then he jumped out of the boat. So now he's on the water. I just saw this last night in the Son of God movie, didn't we, guys? We just went to the youth group and saw it. We saw Peter on the water. And as long as his eyes were on Jesus, Peter was fine. But as soon as he took his eyes off Jesus and started looking at the wind, he immediately began to sink. Now let me ask you the question. What caused Peter to sink? Was it all of a sudden the wind got too strong? Or the waves got too big all of a sudden to, cover, to conquer the water? Or was it his fear? It was his fear. It was the, it was the fear of, can I take the next step and will the water be solid? I mean, and I guess that makes me look at my life. Where in the world, how often I've seen that in my life. I've prayed, I've asked permission, I've listened, I've read the word, I've gotten good instruction. Finally, I'm confident enough to step out, out of the boat in my financial situation or whatever it is, and all of a sudden I get out there and I get afraid. And I stop. You know, Peter would have kept on walking. Peter could have walked all the way across the lake with Jesus. And that would have been probably a pretty cool experience. Can you imagine the other guys in the boat and Peter and Jesus walking along, walking all the, the whole length of the, the lake? And they very well could have. The victory and the joy and the blessing that Peter lost because he took his eyes off Jesus and he got afraid. See, and the same thing happens to me and you when I stop giving because I'm afraid. I just take the blessing, I take the authority from God away that all he can do now is save me, but he can't bless me. Peter wasn't lost. Jesus reached down and he saved him and he pulled him out of the water. But think of the blessing Peter lost because he didn't keep his eyes on Jesus. Think of what he, think of the memories that he lost. Would have been so cool to be able to think, I walked across the lake with Jesus. Instead, he failed. <laughs> Instead, he got afraid, and he fell, and Jesus had to pull him out of the water, and he got all wet. I think Peter regretted that many times in his life. He said, man, if I only would have hung in there. And I'm asking us today, can we just hang in there? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of new beginnings. Don't be afraid. Don't let fear come in and rob you from what God is trying to do for you. Where does fear really come from? Where does fear come from? 
Fear is a derivative of worship. And let me, let me explain it this way. Worship can be, can be thought of as worth-ship with a lisp. Worth-ship. Worth-ship. Because I worship what is worthy to me. I worship what has value to me. So worship is worth-ship. So when I worship God, I'm saying, God, you're worthy. And I worship you because you're worthy to me. Fear is a comes when I, I'm afraid I'm going to lose what I'm worshiping. I, I fear what I'm afraid I'm going to lose what is valuable to me. So fear comes then from a derivative of, of worship because I'm afraid I'm going to lose something that's worthy to me. If I'm worshiping my money, no wonder I have fear of losing it. If I'm worshiping my, my, security, my, my security blanket or my status in life and I have to give something up, no wonder I have fear over that because that's my value system. But when we keep God at the center of our life, Romans chapter 8, verse 15, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. When I can get that element in my life, now all of a sudden fear is replaced with the love of Jesus, the love of the Father. So I think that it helps us when we get into this situation of, Lord, I'm afraid of giving. I'm afraid of taking the next step. I'm afraid of being obedient in my over and above giving because maybe I'm worshiping the things that I shouldn't be worshiping. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6 says, keep your, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? That's the stability we have. That's the promise that we have. And as I said last week, oddly enough, we believe that God will raise us from the dead when we die, but, not, but might not provide for us if we tithe. How silly is that? That we believe that God will raise us from the dead, but he's not big enough God to take care of my financial situation. See, the God who empowers me to live on a 90% or less empowers me to be unafraid, unafraid of the bigger issues and the tougher issues of life, such as Satan, such as death. When I can learn to trust God with my income, with my tithing, and when I can begin and continue, then, I'm, then I am on the journey of trusting God for everything. So this morning, I, I just want to, as we, as we wrap this up, I just want to encourage you, whether you are beginning or continuing in your deeper relationship with Jesus. Understand, you can count on trouble coming. You just know it's coming. But the word tells us that in the midst of it all, God is with us. He will never, live, never leave us or forsake us. That we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. That's the promise we have. The trouble that we have comes from two basic sources. Number one, it comes from Satan, who's always our adversary, always willing to, wanting to destroy us, always wanting to keep us from, from, from fulfilling God's plan, always wanting to rob us of the blessings that God has. 
wants to, wants to keep you from walking across the lake with Jesus hand in hand. He wants to make you a failure. That's Satan's role. And then secondly, the personal fears that rise up within ourselves, they will paralyze us as well. So we have to conquer those fears with the love of Christ. We have to conquer those fears with knowing that Jesus is for us, and because he's for us, nothing can stand against us. Nothing. So this morning, where are you? That's a question for you to answer. Do you want freedom? Do you want God's blessing in your life? Do you really want to be free from the bondages of life-controlling issues? Then the basic number one thing to do is begin today. If you haven't yet, begin today tithing and testing God in this process. And if you already are tithing, then I would encourage you to keep on going. Keep on going. Don't stop. Don't give up. If you've done it and maybe God hasn't come through initially, don't worry about that. Don't worry. I think that's the enemy's biggest deal. You'll start tithing and you won't see a significant change right away. Well, God tests you in some of these things. But don't give up. Don't stop. That's like Peter taking his eyes off Jesus and sinking in the waves. Keep going. God will be there. His promises are true and everlasting. I'm urging you. I'm I'm doing this because it's for your benefit. I'm doing this because I want to see you victorious. That I want to see a church victorious. I want to see this church, this body of believers, I want to see this body of believers as truly ready when the Lord comes back. I don't want to see us wanting. I don't want to see the Lord coming back and some of us not making it into the rapture. I don't want to see some of us being left behind. If, if you die before the rapture comes, well, then I'd love to do your funeral, and I hope we can really say that for sure we know you're in heaven because you followed the basic principles of God's word and the fruit that follows. Not judgmental. It's encouraging. I'm coaching you. I'm urging you. I'm saying, come on, let's go. Let's work. Not, be, not to gain salvation, but because we're saved. But because we're saved. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, I just come before you in Jesus' name. I thank you for your word. I thank you the way that we are instructed and we are commanded to do the good things in life. That we are commanded to do and to follow you in obedience. That this isn't an issue of if you feel like it. No, it's an issue of I'm commanding you to do good works. I'm commanding you to be generous on all occasions. I'm commanding you to do this. And God, I can accept your commands because I know that you love me. And I know that you have my benefit as your primary goal is to wanting a relationship with me and wanting you and I to spend together in eternity. Therefore, those commands are for my benefit. And I thank you for that. So now as we come to your table, I pray, Jesus, that you would just work with us. And this morning, as you guys are closed, this morning, I just want to give you an opportunity. If, if Jesus is not the, the Lord of your life this morning, if, if you're struggling in those areas where maybe he isn't the Lord of your life, maybe you're struggling, maybe you're at that beginning point, and, and you want to just say, Jesus, I'm ready to begin. I'm ready to begin in the walk of salvation, first of all. Then secondly, I'm ready to begin my walk of obedience. Would you just, with all eyes closed, would you just lift your hand and say, Jesus, I hear you. I hear your voice, and I'm receiving, and I'm ready to go. I see that hand. Amen. Now, there's those who are here this morning that maybe you are on the path, and you say, Jesus, I'm ready to continue on the path. I want to go deeper with you. I want relationship to be stronger with you. Can I see your hand? 
Yeah, amen. Thank you, Jesus. I want my relationship to be deeper with you. I want to be former with you. I want to be more solid with you. And Jesus, I will declare to you my ownership that you own me. You own me. Father, I just thank you for that today in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, now as we enter in and enjoy the time of fellowship now around your table that you will be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm going to invite you if, you, if you want to come and enjoy fellowship with us in communion, you do not have to be a member of our church. All your requirements are that you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. And uh, we're going to spend the next five minutes or so just having communion and, uh, and just enjoying this time. So would you just come forward if you're interested? If you can't, that's fine. We understand. If you have to go, it's 12 o'clock. But uh, this is a, a time for us to enjoy the Lord. You know, this is very, this is such a special time that we celebrate the table of the Lord. It's very precious, it's very serious, it's very intentional, it's very purposeful. Paul records it when he writes to the Corinthians. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. I loved the straightforwardness of the gospel. There is no if, and, or buts about the gospel. First of all, it's offensive. It's offensive to my flesh. It's offensive to the world. To the world, the cross is foolishness but to those that have believed it's salvation and it's eternal life. Having the opportunity to come before the Lord like this and to enjoy the, the, the fellowship, recognizing that someday, sooner than what we realize, we're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And Jesus will himself be serving us communion. Because he said, I'm not going to eat of the vine again until that day. He's waiting for us. He's preparing a place for us that encourages me to carry on here in this world, to not be worried about what the, what the world thinks of me, not be worried about the things that I would think I'm missing because I'm not enjoying the worldly pleasures, only to realize that those will only rob from me and I will miss the blessing, if not even eternal life. 
so important that we hear the Lord's word and we deal with it and we understand it and we don't play games with it. Would you lift up the bread with me? Father, we just take this now and we lift it up to you as a sacrifice, knowing that you sacrificed your all for us. What you accomplished on that cross was something that there's not one of us could ever have done on our own. So we thank you for your willingness to be obedient. We thank you, Lord, for not cutting any corners. We thank you for, for fulfilling it to the fullest. Every issue, every promise, every condition of the Old Testament has been, been fulfilled in you, and now we trust you completely, and that is the only reason we can stand here today is because of what you've done in the cross. Thank you for that. And now we fellowship and we enjoy this time together as we eat this bread in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake together. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Lord, this cup that we hold is filled with grape juice, a product of the vine that you created. And Lord, as I watch that portrayal of you picking up the cross, the first thing you did when you picked it up, at least in the portrayal that I saw last night, which is meaningful to me, is that you kissed the cross. You kissed it. Why would you do that? Why would you kiss something that's only going to bring your death and the pain? But it spoke to me that you kissed it because you created it. You created that wood in the first place. You created that tree. You created that seed. And that seed and that tree grew up to be the thing that was going to bring your death and it was going to bring the salvation to me. And you kissed the cross. Thank you for that, Jesus. I really do. And Lord, as I hold this cup in my hand and I recognize what you did and I recognize how you bled out for me and what this blood means and how this blood covers my sin once and for all. It covers my sin, all my failures, all the things that I've done wrong, how, how many times I've displeased you are covered over by the blood of the cross that you bled out for me. And when God looks at me now, he sees a man that is covered with the blood of Christ. No more sin. So God, now I just apply that to my life today. And I, I ask you, Lord, that you give me the faith, you give me the strength to carry on, either to begin or to continue. As we drink this cup today, God, it is a testimony and it's a testament of who you are to me. You are my owner. And I give you all of my life in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you drink together with me? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Jackie, can we sing the song that you're playing and just worshiping just for a minute before we go? No matter how small my Maybe I'm giving you all there is to me. No matter how small my own may be, I gladly waste it at your feet.
Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, I, I, my heart just rings with praise and worship, thanking you that you are worthy. You are worthy of my worship this morning. And therefore, my fear is gone because I know that you have everything under control. You have everything contained for me because of what I worship is you. And therefore, I have no fear. And devil, you have no authority because of that in Jesus' name. We're free. We're free. We're free. And we worship you. Thank you for that. Now go with us today, Jesus, we ask. Bless us in everything we say and do in Jesus' name. Amen.